Welcome back to the Jim Burns and Dave podcast. Hello. We've been away. We're sorry, okay? We've been we in work jail, innit? We, uh, we, we've been in work jail, which is good. Which yeah. is good, because otherwise we can't afford to... Uh, to do stuff which would obviously be upsetting because then we'd have to just go away and then what would you do then you'd listen to another podcast okay anyway in the you know six or eight years that we've been away what have we been up to jim trinker you've been doing quite a lot haven't you <coughs> i've been doing loads of stuff yeah i've been doing loads of stuff i mean loads of work stuff which i obviously won't talk about but uh i've seen a couple of films which yeah. are good which have, which i've enjoyed very much yeah so firstly, I went to see War for the Planet of the Apes, yeah. which is a marvellous, incredible film. I loved it very much. Is it as good as the other two? Yes. I love those. I love that is a strong films. trilogy then, because I think the first two are great. It's, yeah, it's a really strong trilogy. Like I was obsessed with the original Planet of the Apes film when I was younger. And I got like that five film box set they brought out. It had like the original and then like the four shit ones they did after. The Tim Burton one's the best one. Fuck <laughs> You know what? I, I watched the shit out of that when I was younger as well because like that came out around the time that my kind of obsession was at its peak with the originals and it was like, oh man, they're remaking it. It's amazing. And then you, you see it and it's like, oh, fucking hell. But yeah, I love the Charlton Heston original um, and I love the ones after it as well, but they're not, they're not good. You can't really, you can't yeah. really make the argument. It's like when you them. say you like Star Trek. You know it's not good, you just like well, it. This is it, yeah. I've been saying on Twitter for the last for the last few weeks that it's really wonderful to like have a new contemporary Planet of the Apes film series that's actually good. I've not seen any of the films ever. I've seen the end of the original, but yeah. what else do you need to see after that? Nothing. Well, no, you probably watched the 120 minutes before it. Well, no, because once it's ruined, you know, I get it. Yeah, they fucked it. It's, it's, well, it's, I mean, it's to be honest, self-contained. Because that, that, that twist. Is not like that's not the driver of the thing. You're not, no. You don't spend the whole film going. I wonder which planet this is. Yeah, that, but I, I that, don't care. That, like, was, that was a revelation no, to him. There's no, but that's but there's not no the mystery. thrust of the story. There's no mystery to me now. I don't care. And also, I'm not really into the the plot. Yeah. It's really well done. I was really skeptical of it. Why? I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> and the CGI is incredible. Because well. you know what I think? Humanity's got to go anyway. So yeah. really, this is just cool. All right, they're doing it. Well, this is this like is when why... you hire a builder. And he does it. No drama. Well, and you're uh, like, great, cool. Well, this is why... You I sit mean, there and watch him, do you? In the original film, the, the apes are basically the villains, right? Because you, you're on Taylor's side and he's... Well, not me. You know. <laughs> and, you know, and they're putting humans into zoos and stuff like that. And they're very much the villains. But they flip that around later on in the, orig- in the original film series. And it becomes about apes rising up against oppression and taking over. And this the, this new trilogy kind of uh, flips that on its head as well because obviously you know the humans are the baddies. The idea behind this trilogy is to take the world of the original film and imagine how we got there, even though the original film series kind of already did that. It imagines it in a in a naturalistic way. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say it really makes you think, you know. Really. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like there's nothing like massively clever about it. It's just it's just a, it's a, it's a really strong idea, very well realized. I like and, how uh, just from the trailers how well, it lo- how, well. how well it how well shot it looks. I will mm-hmm. say that the, just from the trailers alone, yeah, it looks good. I just mm. I can't go to the cinema anymore because <laughs> mainly for various legal reasons and also because there's other people in there mm. and it's just getting worse and worse and worse yeah you need to get yourself a picture house or something is this because you go to the cinema in Croydon 
No, it doesn't matter where it is. I went to the fucking matinee screening of fucking <laughs> The Fountain when it was on Roadshow and it was showing like three times in the entire country. And the person next to me, who paid about 33 million quid as well, was like, oh yeah, that's him. That's him, isn't it? You know, from the other film, X-Men. And I was like, what the fuck? Literally, about three minutes in, went, excuse me. I've never had this problem have... in Tory Wandsworth. Yeah, yeah, because no one goes to the cinema because they, they see it as beneath them. Okay? No, that's, that's not oh, true. Hold on, speaking of Tories, mm-hmm. just before we go on to the other movie you've seen, Dave went to Wimbledon. Did. <laughs> Dave went to Wimbledon and at his house right now next to me is the ticket holder's guide. You know, you get a football ticket, just says, turn up, don't be a dick. Yeah. Oh no, this has got instructions on the size of the bags you're allowed to take in. It was like, an, like airport an airport going in, yeah. Crazy. That is, that's unbelievable. Like EasyJet presents Wimbledon. Did you get one of the badges, Dave? You know, have the super VIPs. win anything, the no. <laughs> They have the badges that say, you know, I'm the man. My favourite thing about Wimbledon was the big fucking plate one of the winners was holding up. Oh, yeah. big fucking diamond yeah. encrusted plate and shit. Yeah. I'd definitely like, have a KFC I mean, if that. you win Wimbledon, you deserve to have well, a big, diamond encrusted plate. A big yeah. plate. Yeah. I'll have a big plate. <laughs> I think it is one of the toughest sports to play. It is. It is. And you know what? With tennis, I know it's going to sound really weird because it's so... The sport is so old. But every time I see, like, futuristic... Uh, like gladiatorial sports and stuff like Tron you know with the discs I'm like mm. that's just tennis like, there's <laughs> yeah, something yeah. about sitting in an arena just watching two people with a net fire a ball over it they, mm. it's both retro and futuristic to me at the same time I know there's this weird dissonance that in the future all those blood sports or whatever that people think they're just tennis but you fall out the end of it if you miss the point and uh, when we should make that doing it, yeah we could do that we could do that Wimbledon deathmatch that'd be amazing I'd watch that not this double shite what a, load of, what a load of bollocks. There's two of you. How do you lose? Anyway. <laughs> it's not two on one. <laughs> but you also saw, Jim, Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah. Which is not a Silent Hill crossover. No. It's no, not no. about Iraq or anything. No. Um, uh, Spider-Man's well good. Very different. Sp- obviously, this is introducing Spider-Man into the, into the Avengers, into the MCU. Uh, the Avengers kind yeah. of continuity. And as such... It's a very different Spider-Man movie to the the ones that have. It's uh, good to the Sam Raimi lot. Yeah, it's good because <laughs> the the Amazing Spider-Man movies were fucking. They just uh, nobody wanted a reboot of those films. It was a Spider-Man movie starring yeah. a man called Garfield. Yeah. How did they think it was going to work? The That's Raimi Garfield. films. I've you know I liked the Raimi films the first two when they came out. I don't think they've aged particularly well because I think you know superhero comic book movies have gotten so much better over the have they though or yes, is it just have. because all you do is compare comic book movies to other comic book movies yeah, rather than exactly. to actual wider film lore like what what's good iron man's brilliant avengers what else well, i've not seen the avengers movie or any of the avengers movies i don't think i've seen any marvel stuff after uh, i saw a bit of iron man 3 that is fucking dreadful. That, film. <laughs> uh, that was the lot. That was the most recent of those movies that there's I've seen. A lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, infighting over what the best Iron Man movie is, and people are. There's been a bit of a reappreciation for parts of two. Uh, I, although I haven't seen a lot of these Iron movies. Iron Man two felt like a toy advert. <laughs> yeah, I mean, too much oh, like they a toy are advert. all toy adverts. They all feel like toy adverts because they're advertisements for toys. You're like, there he is. There's Spider Man. I want to get Spider Man now. Whether it's video games, action figures, those weird diorama sets that people buy, and then they're like, no, this isn't a toy. This new is, Spider-Man know. game looks good, though. Yeah, it, it does, does look good, actually. It does, actually. It does we saw good. that when we were at E3. See, people are like, where have you been? We've been, we've been in America. 
Yeah. We've been, you know, video game stuff. Went to America. I went to Scotland. You know. Yeah. I, Do you I spend went to $120 Ireland. on nuggets? Yeah. These things happen. Chicken nuggets. There's an accident. Just because you need to specify. Exactly. Uber Eats is now in Britain. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, McDonald's Uber I Eats. I don't think you really Britain. clarified that story where Jim, we were all got very drunk and it was three in the morning. Yeah. And then Jim said, who wants McDonald's? We were like, yeah, of course. Absolutely. So then he ordered McDonald's and then went, lads, I fucked it. No, I've ordered it no, three times. No, no. no, you start backtracking. No, no, no. I've no, ordered no, it three no, times. There's, there's a missing piece to this story. There's <laughs> Jim, a missing there really piece to this story. It, the, no, regarding, no, the regarding missing the piece, amount of drunkenness going on, Dave the and I were on the piece, same team. The missing piece of this story is that I kept asking you what you fucking wanted and you kept changing your mind, so I had to keep right, restarting. This you is a categorically <laughs> a lie. And also, it's not a fucking lie. Right, three Ubers turned up. 15 minutes apart <laughs> with fucking six bags of McDonald's each and we had 120 chicken nuggets which makes your initial order 40 chicken nuggets yeah I mean yeah you both said should we get a load of chicken nuggets <laughs> and the highest number you could order was 40 and it yeah. was like fucking yeah. and I was like alright we'll just have 40 chicken nuggets <laughs> when you and 12 <laughs> burgers and Gall- literally <laughs> gallons of, of soft drinks. Yeah. I mean, we were still eating, we were eating that McDonald's for like three days. It was, so, great. It was great. It was great. We, it was great. we gave it a really good go on the on the nugs the next day. But yeah. my goodness, we just I think I did like sixteen the next day. Yeah, but yeah. It, it was just just mainlining chicken nuggets. Exactly. <laughs> um, it was like Starship Troopers just couldn't make a dent. Like, you know, everyone done. you know people started off really annoyed about it. And then people calmed down about it. And then by day three, everyone was all right with it. Yeah. <laughs> I was furious for a little while, but then it became so funny mm. that I think we, we must have laughed for about solid... A solid well, that's because you thought he'd initially spent $120 three times. Yeah. And I also mentioned as well, when I kept going up and down the stairs to get the fucking nuggets from the street, <laughs> we were in an Airbnb above some guys from Bethesda. <laughs> And one of these guys was outside smoking the whole time. Oh man, the noises he must have heard. And it's like, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm popping downstairs and I nod at the, all right, you know, and get the, get the McDonald's and go back in. And then five minutes later, I'm doing the exact same thing and the guy's still there. He's like, hey again. And then back in with the McDonald's. Yeah. And then it happens a third time and it becomes too awkward to not comment on yeah. it. Like, yeah, I'm just ordering tons and tons of so I just walk past them and just like, and I didn't even offer any kind of explanation. All I said was, McDonald's, mate. <laughs> <laughs> as if, you know, as if that, as if that in, in any way explains the situation. I mean, it kind of does, like, uh, yes, officer. Uh, so anyway, Spider-Man, just to, just to round that off. Yeah. Did you like it? Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, How's the, the new lad? What's his name? Tom, Tom something. They're all called Tom or, or Chris these days, aren't they? Yeah, so no, he's uh, he, Tom Holland. Is that his name, Tom? Holland? I think so. Yeah, he's uh, he's a good lad. Um, see, I never liked Tobey Maguire. He's got a weird face. I didn't like Andrew Garfield because his name's fucking Garfield, yeah. as we've as we've covered. But uh, this new lad, he's he's the right age for a start. He's, uh-huh. a, he's a b- believably a high school kid, uh-huh. and. Um, that's got to be your first in any American film, isn't it? Well, I liked that they uh, they just skimmed over the origin story, and it was uh, well, they didn't even mention it. There was like there's one reference to Aunt May having a tough time of it recently, but there's not like you yeah, know, you've got it by now, right? You know, and it's like and it's like fine because like you you've retold that just in cinema, you've retold that origin story twice now, and that felt like that felt 
quite a, a nice way to handle it. And it's like, but this isn't about Spider-Man's origins. It's about his kind of induction into Tony Stark's circle. What's the homecoming you know? in reference to? Well, I mean, it it does tie into the like a specific point in the plot, like a turning oh, okay. point. Oh, okay. All right. Well, don't say. Don't um, say. But it's, I mean, but it's, it's, it's obviously sort of, you know, it, it's got a bit of duality in that it's a reference to a bit of the film, but also the fact that he's now part of the Marvel uh, Universe. Oh, of course. Yes, so because there's, there's, there's a, a bit of Fox duality thing where, um, So when we were in America, as we usually do, we watched some uh, OJ-related documentary. Jim yeah. and I, a few years ago, watched 2014, I think it was. We turned on the telly in the room and there was an OJ doc on, so we watched it. But this year we watched part of, I think, the first three episodes of uh, Made America, ESPN's 30 for 30, Extravaganza. You two did, I went to sleep. Well, yeah, you kept some fun. So I was asleep. the only one doing any fucking work. Yeah, that's right. that's right, working to spend all of our cash on nuggets. Uh, <laughs> but I thought, just in terms of documentaries, I do think it's pretty much top five all time. Mm-hmm. It, it is, is excellent. incredibly good. And as Dave and I were saying while we're out there is that because it starts doesn't just start with the him or someone <clears throat> killing you know Nicole and Ron it's it starts way back in the history of Los Angeles race relations OJ is the track star high school football star and the the thing about it that really unsettles you is you know what he's allegedly done although he was cleared of it in the criminal so you know what's happened and you've seen the brutality of what happened and yet you spend the first maybe few hours because you get to know OJ as a young guy winning the Heisman, the run, the USC versus UCLA rivalry. And then you see him in full pitchman mode and he's so easygoing, he's so likeable. It's really good at selling how charismatic he is. And how you start you could, to think, wait a minute. Maybe how he's did, not that bad a guy. How did this guy do that? Which mm. is his entire legal defence. Yeah. How did this guy do that? I mean, there were obviously stuff with DNA stuff. But mainly a lot of people couldn't get over the fact that OJ Simpson. If David Beckham... yeah. Not that I'm saying he would, but if David Beckham uh, or you know Victoria or whoever other sporting stars were found dead, and someone as big as like Wayne Rooney or David Beckham or you know, Lewis like Hamilton, Beckham you, being chased down the M6 yeah. and then closing it, <laughs> you've off. actually done that, Dave. Um, <laughs> we'll get to that later. But you know, just imagine Beckham is in a really kind of mid-range yeah. Ford, getting chased, and it's just it's insane, and the the, the forensic level of detail mm. that they go into. And the the people they have, and as you know, if you listen to this a lot, like the world of war is the gold standard of documentaries because it has the principles of what is the most, pretty much the most important event in history. Yeah. And although this isn't as important as that, you have like a lot of the people, Chris Diamond's not there, but you have uh, Marsha Clark, you have all of OJ's old friends, you have all these people who are actually properly interconnected with it, talking about what happened. And yeah, for the, it's like seven and a half hours, I think, but it's, it is yeah. well worth it. It's so, so good. I think um, it, it really does a great job of reminding people how big a star he was and how well-liked he was. Yeah. Because, like, and especially um, in this country, I don't think, we don't really keep track of college football players, you know what I mean? No. So, like, we, we knew of him from things like Capricorn 1 and... Um, and avenge uh, naked gun, yeah. and eventually the you know the, the the murder case for which he is famous, and that that's kind of he he's more famous for that here than he is for being a football player. Yeah. But of course, uh, the the context of America is that he was he was a he was a college football golden boy, and that's the context. And then an NFL, yeah. super, then a movie star. Like yeah, we, yeah. I think that in Britain, that was 
minimised, obviously, because yeah. especially then, uh, less so now, but back then, if you're talking 95, satellite television is essentially uh, its infancy for people adopting it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's... And absolutely... who's his closest equivalent over here? Vinnie Jones. <laughs> it would no. be David Beckham. David Beckham. It would be yeah. for, for crossover appeal out of his sport yeah. and into whatever. It would be David Beckham. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying David Beckham would obviously do anything like that, but in terms no, of, of not. visibility of the in fame, terms of the hyperstar, the looks as yeah. well, like the, the lifestyle. Mm. He had this OJ's ridiculous house uh, with all the parties and all the people turning up, and he was part of the country clubs. And the whole race element is so so interesting in it, in the way that they. Uh, the uh, the documentary weaves it all through with the history of Los Angeles as well mm. is absolutely to its credit because a lot of the stuff just goes okay it is you know June twelfth something's happened let's see like the glove the DNA but obviously the story of OJ isn't just the story of one day something mm. happened and he got you know tried for it it is how America and LA in particular got to that point as well as he did. And so they haven't yeah. really depressingly learnt that much since then. Well, yeah. But, um, yeah, so we did that, which... So we went to America and we just sat around watching OJ documentaries, which seems to be uh, the thing we do. But, no, E3, we should probably have a little... Just a little chat about that. Mm-hmm. E3 was, was really good. Uh, it was it was great working out there. Uh-huh. Uh, it was very different to being a journalist or covering mm-hmm. it news-wise. It was the most fun I've ever had doing E3. yeah. And but I will say that uh, I agree with uh, with a few people, Rami, and others who wrote about it. That firstly, I think there was some security. Well, definitely was some security issues. Oh when, God, yeah. When you were a, a journalist before, and it was you know mainly journals only or accreditation only in that regard. Mm. When you arrived there, you had to every time you wanted to go in and out of a door, you had to show your ID as well as your past, and that wasn't happening. And, and just from a like you know health and safety perspective when we arrived at 9 a.m on the first day to set up to do our work the queue was already out the door and people uh, in you know the early hours la sun and they'd been there for hours and hours and hours and we walked past them how is that workable people standing like queuing out and we walked past them because we have exhibitors passes so you know wayne's world we managed to just like just go past but it was impossible not to feel for those people who were standing out there in the sun, and they would be out there in the sun because it didn't open for another three hours. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, but it was it was a great laugh uh, to be out there, and yeah, and but going back to that, Nintendo had to change their booth on day two. They had to change because there was just too many people trying to just go and see it. Um, in the in the old days, I say that, in the old days of two years ago. If you were going as a journalist, you were going to cover stuff, basically. So there really wasn't that much walking around and gawping at stuff. And you'd go, you'd see the PR, whoever the representative was, you'd go in and have your appointment, then you'd leave and you'd run off. Type yeah. But now, obviously, which is fine, it is a theme park now. Mm-hmm. So people are stopping, and they're stopping, and it's all in a grid system. So you can't see around the next corner. Mm-hmm. You can't really... And it, they really need to work on that, I think, because there are people like getting into bottlenecks... Uh, especially around some of the bigger booths, Nintendo, Capcom, loads of people coming around, they're just stopping, and then people coming around, and then yeah. suddenly you get, not a crush per se, but people stopping, and then you've got all these giant bodies of people trying to get past you. Yeah, I can see why some people w- would have been quite intimidated. Because it is basically a trade show, but with the public element, it's it's a trade show that's also trying to be a theme park, and mm-hmm. it's, and, and the end result is that it's not particularly good at being either, and it's not 
well equipped to be a theme park. You know, it's when, when you cover it as a journalist, you go to you go to the booth and you speak to the guy at the desk, and then you go into a room at the back and interview someone, and and you're not there for the spectacle, but like members of the public are kind of having to sort of queue up and and uh, and, and get a shot of at pods and stuff, and they're trying to inter. Everyone's trying to get stuff done around yeah. this. So, but what I think, I mean, I think it was a learning year for them and I'm pretty sure they'll come back next year. You should just do a journalist only day and then a public, two public days. We were were making the comparison to Gamescom, which has, I mean, Gamescom's a lot bigger and a lot, uh, has a lot larger attendance because it is a public facing trade show. Mm -hmm. And um, so you've got the big, you've got the big show floor, but you've also got this entire complex on the other side that is the business area that the public aren't allowed into. And it makes covering Gamescom so much easier because you don't, you don't walk across the show floor to get to somebody's business area. You just go to their business area, you know, it's a lot quieter, it's a lot nicer, you know, there's not, you know, people don't have PAs on and stuff. And I I, I think that that's probably what they're going to end up doing. I th- you know what it was I should say it was both a pleasure working there mm. and secondly it was actually nice to see a lot of enthusiasm from people who were coming up to your booth and like mm. they were actually awed by what they were seeing or they mm. were you could hear them talking to their people like have you seen this have you seen that so it's it's nice to have that it's not just a bunch of jaded bunch of jaded fucking British journalists British guys oh, it's well, crap being in LA isn't it yeah <laughs> Um, it's crap being out in California I'll tell you what we did discover though was that actually writing GTA is a lot easier than you would actually initially think given that every character we met out there was like oh you're straight out the game Oh well, they just probably just recorded conversations in the street and put them in our Uber driver who was also apparently a private uh, injury attorney yeah I only do this for networking, is what he said. Then there was he the other guy. Gave us his card. Yeah, yeah. The, he gave us his card. The other guy. The, the, if you ever hurt yourself on a building site, mate, I'm your man. Yeah, like, the driver from um, from New York. The various yeah. people that you would just run into at parties. The guy we r- ran into someone at, uh, at a party, and he he looked like a 25 year old billionaire. Like he was glowing, like radiating cash. And he just, you know, he's wearing his clothes weren't like super flashy, but they were clearly expensive and really fucking nice. And like when he smiled, it was like Dave, it was like wattage basically. Four hundred dollar haircut, the lot. And I was like, this is just. I feel like at any moment, the Hauser brothers are going to be like, yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and I rode a bull. Oh, Dave, Not a real one. Yeah, so Dave rode the the bull at uh, known shit house, the Saddle Ranch. And uh, obviously, this the uh, company's future was on the line because I would have had to dissolve the partnership should he have failed. But Dave, you managed to ride the ball and not get thrown off. There you go, magic, so, man of many talents. But you know why that is because you are you are generally polite approaching the bull. The bull's not real. Got a lower centre of gravity the as well. Who, you're not Maradona, Dave. Right? <laughs> anyway, onto the questions. Onto the questions. Come on, Dave, you do them. You got them, you? You haven't talked about Game of Thrones yet. Uh, we'll get on to Game of Thrones when the questions come in. Okay, first one. What's your favourite action movie one-liners? Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. I like... There's too many of them are too obvious. You want to be a farmer, here's a couple of acres. Ice that guy, kind of phrase. But baby, we're married. Boom, consider that a divorce. That is one of the best ones. Yeah. They're all Arnie ones. I thought you'd be straight in there with Welcome to Earth. That's not really a great line. That's just a well-known one. Yeah. It's it's not great, you know. It's not like um, for, for a stab. It's not really a one-liner or like a payoff or a kiss-off line. 
but for establishing a character as definitely not being from somewhere in an action movie, I love the line yeah. from at the beginning of Die Hard when John mm. McClane arrives at the airport and just mm-hmm. like exclaims like fucking California. Like immediately he's like he doesn't like this place at all. And so just his being here is problematic for him. Let alone the terrorism. Like if there was no terrorism, he'd still have a bad week. <laughs> so I mean it doesn't really, actually, the terrorism is just a thing that, that happened after he was I mean, pissed off. Everyone says that when they arrive in California, surely. <laughs> fucking California. I mean we did a lot of that when we arrived. <laughs> Yeah, oh, fucking California. Yeah. Well, like you know, we just spend four hours finding out where to stand to get an Uber. Yes, fucking yeah, California. But, but the thing is, speaking of GTA, should have known. Should have known he's upstairs because any time I play GTA, that's the way I get into the secret. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, um, another one is uh, I came here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm out of bubblegum from uh, They Live, Roddy Roddy yeah, Piper. Yeah, <laughs> notably stolen by Duke Nukem. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, there's there's loads. I mean, there's that Arnie um, uh, movie insults one, isn't there? That's a video on YouTube which just got so many fucking great insults, threats, one-liners. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, most of them are Arnie-related. And yeah, I think in terms of its threat, I'll be back. Mm-hmm. The threat to action ratio is absolutely brilliant because then he just drives a car through the front of it and mows down the entire police station. Mm-hmm. So it's not surprising that that became so iconic because all great kiss off lines follow something really cool happening. Like even even ones that are ostensibly quite shit, like your luggage in a razor, follow him shooting an alligator in the head, which is cool. Like mm-hmm. an alligator gets out in the zoo and he shoots it in the head. The alligator before that is eating the guy who played Drake in Aliens. But anyway, so... Speaking of alligators, you call that a knife? This is a knife? Exactly. Exactly. Oh, there's too many. We're going to get sidetracked. But uh, I can't think of one that would be my absolute top. Although the one that I run to is the Ice That Guy, Conan Phrase. It, <laughs> because it's such a piss take of Arnold's <clears throat> charisma and character. Which one, sorry? In uh, Last Action Hero, where the the bad guys are in some ice cream van or whatever and one of the guys gets an ice cream cone through the back of his head and like falls oh, yeah. dead and Arnie's turning around with a desert eagle and he's like laughing almost like because Arnie's whenever he made a movie it seemed he was having the most fun in the entire universe so ice that guy he's like fucking yes and then but then cone of phrase it's just so stupid <laughs> but it works perfectly so what's next Dave Josh Williams asks what is the most anticipated film of the year and why Blade Runner 2049 will be shite, which I disagree with the premise of that because I think the director's fucking excellent and I'm interested to see it, although I hate the title. I think the, t- the title is really throwback bad to like Knight Rider, like 2000, all that. Is it instantly going to date the fucker? Mm. Uh, it feels dated already. Just call it Blade Runner The Return. I mean, that's still bad, but at least, you know, in 2051, you won't be going, oh. yeah, you know. Imagine Blade Runner was called. When when's it set? Like I don't know. But you'd be like, imagine it was the year in which it's set. You'd be like, uh, imagine Terminator was called. Is it set in like twenty twenty or something? So, uh, there you go. So or you know, Terminator's called. Just have it some point in the future. Then yeah. you're then you're safe forever. Exactly. Exactly. Well, he's a brilliant director. Blade Runner too. Like Blade Runners. Am I Blade Runners. Yeah. Yeah, there's two of them now. Yeah. Fucking hell. <laughs> have you seen Arrival? No. Have you seen it? No. Well, Isn't watch it, it. They just draw stuff, don't they? Uh, to a degree, yeah, but it is brilliant. Is there any guns film. in it? There's, there's some guns in it, yeah. Oh, 
Oh, Burns is interested now. Oh, okay. Is, okay. Is any of them Sicario as well? Have you seen that? I've not. Prisoners. I have seen the end of Sicario. I'm bad at this. Stop watching the end of films. Now I didn't. My. Sorry, Karen. No. Well, I only saw. I presume it's the end or close to the end because someone sent it to me on WhatsApp. Someone I know, obviously. It's not like those old Bluetooth things where you just get a message on Bluetooth. I was going to say, was... you're just sitting on the tube and all <laughs> yeah. of a sudden... And um, it's like, it's, uh, my friend, and he's, and he's like, oh, I just saw this movie the other night and this is a really cool scene. And I was like, okay. So I watched it. And I was like, it feels like that's the climactic scene of this movie. So th- thanks for ruining that. And it is... Have you seen it, Sicario? No. You see it, Dave. Yeah, it's great. So you know when... Uh, Benicio turns up for a chat at the dinner table. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a pretty memorable scene. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it was that. And I was like, oh, cool. Because at the start, I didn't know what it was from. And at first, I thought it might be from something different, like a TV show. I was like, mm-hmm. okay. But no. But uh, it is on um, Netflix. So. I watched Ex Machina the other day. That's a said, great film. Which I thought was great, but I didn't want the billionaire to die. Cool. He's a bad guy, but I just thought that... I thought that the way he died... In that bracket thought, spoilers. Uh, come on, it's been out for years. I just, I don't know. Don't listen to that last part if you don't want that spoiler. <laughs> I don't know. It didn't feel. But I love what happened to them, like the uh, the coder guy. I thought that was really cool. You know, with the well, listen, spoilers. But the machine, Ava, Nathan, the billionaire, tells uh, Caleb exactly how it's going to operate and trick him, and it does. Question though, how will it get more power? It's like, I'll figure away. Yeah, it's a robot, I suppose. But uh, earlier on, she says, "Oh, I'm, I'm charged via these plates, and when I reverse the polarity, it, you know, there's a plot device about taking down some of the uh, security systems." Okay, cool. Well, you're a robot. My iPhone won't do a day. You're a bit more advanced. Probably a bit, <laughs> a bit more advanced. Uh, yeah, but what's she gonna do? Probably hydrogen cells or something. It's like, there's not gonna be fucking lithium-ion batteries. It's explained house, earlier on that she's charged. Yeah. She's got solar panels in her eyes. Yeah. There you uh, go. I mean, it could be. That's all it would have taken. Just to go back to the original question, War for the Planet of the Apes was genuinely my most anticipated film this yeah, year. Yeah, I so. can't wait to see it. What other yeah. films are coming out this year? Oh, fucking no. Super Sunshine. Troopers 2, mate. Fucking hell. Are there um, any more uh, superhero films this year? Uh, yeah, Ragnarok, there'll be uh, one a week, as has been for the past three fucking years. Um, who, who else is... Uh, uh, I'll tell you what. Is Justice League out this year? I don't know. I think no. it's next year. Oh no, it might be it might be the tail end of this year. Must Anyone the- seen, even though I don't watch trailers, I did see this trailer. Jumanji looks really fucking good. No, I does look all right actually. No, as someone said uh, on Twitter, I can't understand how it'd be like Atari twenty six hundred era technology had four players and there's some resolution stuff. And I yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not into it. I I actually haven't seen the original Jumanji. Not seen suppose. the original Jumanji. No, oh, fuck's sake. Can't say the most anticipated film for films that have already come out, but this year you loved Terminator Two, T Two. <laughs> T2 Train spotting Was that this year? Yeah that was early Fucking this year hell. Dunkirk I, I suppose is another big one I know I you two aren't really excited about that but I, d- I definitely I don't want to know, see it, it. Just looks like, It just looks like another fucking Nolan film and I'm bored of them I think his movies are getting more well some of them apart from same memento aside I think that uh, his movies are getting more and more you know high concepts or they're trying to be more interesting in, in terms of what they're doing like oh it's set in Dunkirk but there's three time frames and they all cross cut or it's about time time and space and the earth is dying but to me they're actually getting less interesting as, as dramas they're getting more and more effects heavy 
But the end of Interstellar, I thought, was absolutely shithouse. Worse than anything Spielberg's ever done, including Minority Report. Right? Uh, yeah, I hate the end of that. And it's a great film, though. Yeah, up until, Report's really up until good. the last 60 seconds. Uh, yeah, I just I didn't like the last two uh, Batman movies that he did. The thing is, and this is a constant argument. Inception here. is not. As someone someone said this to me on Twitter after I joked about Inception being a two hundred million dream two hundred million dollar dream movie that's not as good as Meshes of the Afternoon. Someone replied saying it's not even as good a dream movie as a Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three Dream Warriors, and that is one hundred percent truth. Fact. Meshes of the Afternoon though is brilliant, and if you haven't seen it, just on YouTube, YouTube just watch it. it right now, and it's what. 10 minutes it is the greatest movie about dreams and it's, it is brilliant it is also absolutely terrifying there's something about it that's so unsettling that a lot of horror movie directors and it's been stolen from a lot but you can there's a, essentially a clinic everything's shot in daylight it's black and white daylight but it's the music and how it's shot and the, the key bit and the yeah. stairs oh, oh, oh it's great go watch it as soon as you finish this podcast Life was another film that came out this year that I liked which one was that? That is... Oh, the Alien knockoff. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's certainly got a DNA with Alien, but... Yeah, so how was that? Definitely worth a watch. I like Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, I he's think he's boss, a cool guy. It? Yeah. One movie that I really want to watch is Enemy with Jake Gyllenhaal. You know, the... Uh, I have seen that one. The doppelganger one. Oh. Seen this? Yeah. No. So, yeah, I think it's directed by... I think it's directed by the guy did Arrival. Anyway, but that looks really good. And I've not seen Nightcrawler yet. And, oh, yeah. Nightcrawler's good. One thing I do want us to do, and we should talk chat about this in terms of uh, you know LA-based stuff next year. Um, if we go to LA at any point, we have to go back to the Cecil Hotel. Oh yes, definitely. Where uh, where um, terribly that young woman died, but it's got a whole history of uh, of weird occurrences, and Black Dahlia was associated with it, and it's just got so it's in. Um, it's in downtown LA, which is not in great shape anyway, and it's apparently located in or around. Yeah, America, can you sort your fucking homeless problem out? I know yeah. that like the UK isn't exactly leading in the world, but the amount of tent cities that we went past, oh man, the rich it's, it's nation, just worse. Is it's fucking yeah, horrendous, horrible, absolutely horrible. But yeah, it's had, you know it's reputation for a lot of people. Uh, was it uh, the Night Stalker lived there along with uh, some other people? But apparently, it's got this just incredibly eerie atmosphere because people actually live there as well as just renting rooms. So they're on long-term rents. You know, I don't think you can buy apartments in it. But yeah, it's uh, I really want to go. But in 2019, they are. It's been marked as a heritage site for the city of Los Angeles, which uh, seems a bit odd. But um, yeah, I want to go before they really retrofit it back to this kind of Art Deco thing and make it into a, a you know a tourist attraction in terms of oh it's actually fine now. I want to go in there. and feel a bit scared. Yeah, there's loads of stories from it, isn't there? People, yeah, loads of people killing themselves. Again, that terrible story about the Canadian tourist who ended up in the water tank. Yeah. That's the most And you can thing. see the video of that. Yeah, that's, the, that's, that's really disturbing. But the, but before that, the the like the legend of it, like people were aware of it and stuff, that, yeah, it's just a really... And it, it's, in, it's not like one of those haunted houses that are off the beaten track. It's not in the woods. Mm-hmm. It's on Main Street. You know, you can you probably driven we've probably gone past it and thought nothing of it. So yeah, I really want to go check it out. And if I die in there, great. Well, speaking of death, we had Mr. George Romero die a couple of days ago. Yes, at we the time did. Time recording, we and did. we got a question from Sam Keir saying, in honor of Romero, if you could bring one director back from the dead so they can keep making films, who would it be and why? Kubrick. Never heard of him. <laughs> He did that that film with Tom Cruise. Uh, 
Kubrick, <laughs> because I don't think that anyone, not that they necessarily even could, has got close to that, the the visualism, the way that he used all, you know, basically used the camera purely to represent uh, various things, whether that's war, whether that's, you know, people going mad in hotels or whatever, what that really represents. Uh, some of the early stuff as well, absolutely incredible. And... Yeah, I just think that no one has... There's been a lot of people that do really good stuff with the camera, but no one who has a coherent whole. So like some people have really nice framing, for example, and yeah, the DOP, or whatever, a lot of that is them as well. Like People seem to forget that that other guy also does. Oh, yeah, certainly for, for framing. I think yeah. it's a massive part of it. But when you think about how his movies were, like the coherence, as I was saying, of those shots and how they fit together... Uh, I don't think there's been anyone that's uh, even gotten close. And I think that it's t- it, sometimes people go the other way. And so Road to Perdition is a beautiful painterly movie. But the problem I have with it is that every shot is so beautifully framed that I'm just thinking about the composition. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at every frame as if it's actually a painting. You know, it's like... Yeah. so. But you're not meant to do it like that. The image not if it takes you out the drama. Yeah, it? the image is meant to... Like Kubrick, <clears throat> the image is meant to bring you in not make you stand as an observer. So, and that really put me off the movie. There's some beautiful shots like where Daniel Craig is killed and you, his death is revealed by a closing door with a mirror on it so you can see he's in the bathtub. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, fantastic. But after a while, there's just too much of that. Whereas... I know so that- Wed, Wed, Wed? Wes Anderson's a filmmaker who comes close in terms of his visual style being so yes. distinctive. I think, yeah, I think so. I also think that, but it's the camera movement as well. It's the movement. It's the way that you go through those movies. The uh, you know the Shining's the most obvious one, the Steadicam, mm-hmm. but even Full Metal Jacket and the rest of them. The way that the camera pushes and pulls you around as the viewer is absolutely magnificent, and I don't think anyone's anywhere close to that really. Not in mainstream Hollywood films anyway. There you go, Jim. Do you have one? No. You'd resurrect. No. Also, speaking of Romero, what a fucking what a cracker, what a guy. Obviously, as a huge Resident Evil fan. That probably wouldn't have happened. Well, modern him. zombies full stop wouldn't yeah. have happened. So it's a shame. He also, I think, when we think of Romero, it's easy to just think about, oh, well, you know, it's just the zombie stuff. But actually, if you watch any of those movies, particularly the first one, particularly the ending of Night of the Living Dead and what happens oh, to just the survivor. So much political. Yeah, it's great. It's great. And uh, although starting with, you know, maybe Day of the Dead, the budgets started to fall away. And so he couldn't really do what he wanted to do. I would say it, it was all still there. So absolutely a magnificent filmmaker. And there are very few filmmakers who have that sort of legacy. Even if some people think it's just dumb zombie movies, definitely not. Oh, definitely not. And if you haven't seen them, you should check those out. Do it. And you can watch Night of the Living Dead on YouTube <laughs> yeah. for free because it's copyright free. Because some <laughs> fuck up. There's no, <laughs> so we could actually remake it. We could splice ourselves into it. <laughs> We, we should do that it. as soon as we finish we this. Could, we, could, uh, we, could do a Jim, we could do a Jim Burns Dave, not the director's commentary, and actually feature the film in the fucking video. Yeah, we so. could be in it. We could just splice us going, <laughs> oh no, the flag's up. The flag's up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, R- Romero made some... Uh, I mean, his, his, he's one of these people whose contribution to popular culture is... I mean, I think. I mean, certainly in terms of horror, he's up. The, he, I mean, he's up there with the likes of fucking George Lucas and, and people like that. His he, he's the the progenitor of so much stuff 
Mm. It's just in the ether that people will pick out and and you know that, that people will steal from him without knowing. You know, he's that his ideas are that ubiquitous. Mm. And you know, and, and he he invented the archetypal zombie. It's an incredible legacy, and I think I think that really when you get to the point where people steal your work all the time without even knowing, when, when your ideas yeah. are just it's become so mainstream, yeah. it's been replicated so many just times. Become that... so. Yeah, you know, that, genericized essentially. Yeah, that's a, I mean that that's a great legacy to have. I yeah. think I think mm. that's a it's, a it's a wonderful imprint to make. And you've also got to go back to the point you know? and remember that it was highly original at the time, just because yeah. it's been copied to death. Absolutely, now. yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Has any have you seen Martin? No, but that's another one of his movies that kind of flipped some of it on its head as well. Yeah. It's a really strange little film. Directors for me, I would like someone like Boonwell or Salvador Dali for their little weird films. That kind of, kind of doesn't get made anymore, or bring back Orson Welles. Let's let's see what he does with the internet age. Oh yeah, probably. I mean, he had the probably. most famous radio broadcast of all time. Then he yeah, made he probably just uses the greets <laughs> a lot. No, he was a he was a genius. And I mean, he if obviously... he was alive, he'd probably just get fucking probably just get tonked, wouldn't he? He's <laughs> <laughs> just he's sure had a pretty good go at that anyway. To be <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the French. Who else? <laughs> the Kubrick's the one, I think. That's the one. I'd bring back. Yeah. I mean, I'd bring Romero back for the irony. Well, yeah, I mean, that certainly yeah, does absolutely. fit. One from Commodore Schmidtlap. Uh, are any fans of film noir? Yes, is my I mean, answer. That wasn't his actual name, was it? Well, that's well, that's what his yeah thing is. Unbelievable. Um, uh, so it's Handel or whatever you kids I mean, call well, it. I'm sorry if I laughed at your actual name, but I find you, I find your username quite funny. What was he asking? Sorry. He was asking if any of us are fans of film noir. I very much enjoy uh, the Maltese Falcon and uh, the Big Sleep. That whole kind of um, uh, when I was younger, I kind of uh, I got into those old kind of studio system movies, particularly the Humphrey Bogart ones, because my because my, my my dad was well into it, so I, so I got into it. But th- those are the only real those are the only examples I can think of. It wasn't a genre that I got. Ah, oh, double indemnity. Into, but those two in Touch of Evil, Third Man. <laughs> Going back to uh, old Orson Welles, I suppose Chinatown, possibly yeah, squeeze that in. Well, I mean, stretch it further with Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yeah, Chinatown definitely. L.A. Confidential. L.A. Confidential is fantastic. Yeah, it's a fucking great genre. Yeah. Also, even though it's not quite film noir, but in terms of like L.A. movies, uh, that little subgenre of it, uh, The Big Lebowski. Mm-hmm. Like has a lot, like yeah. a lot, a lot of those, like the detectives. I and mean, the detective is both the gumshoe that they get, and you know the Jeffrey Lebowski himself, the dude. And they, what I love about the movies is the way they unspool, like and the, the reason everyone loves them. And the Big Lebowski is such a lovely play on that. Mm. Where I think when it came out, a few people were a bit confused as to why the guys who had made Fargo now made this movie about this weird stoner guy who loved bowling. But actually, it's not about that. That's almost incidental in a lot of ways until the end of the movie. And, yeah, I, I really love the, the great film noirs that are also great LA movies because I find that place absolutely fascinating, as you probably mm. got by now. Very interesting place, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's completely fucked up. Like, like, utterly it, fucked just, up. I mean, it shouldn't work. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, in a, yeah. <laughs> in a lot of ways. How is this even here? That's what, that's what you tend to think when you're in it. We built a city in the desert and then made it bigger. What could possibly yeah. go right? Um, yeah, I... I does, does Zodiac count as film noir? Mm, no, I wouldn't put it in noir, no. no. I mean, it has elements of it, I'd say. The elements, yeah. That's very interesting. Have you read the, the book? No, great film, though. Yeah. Yeah. 
wonderfully put together. Wonder, um, By the boy who's yeah, going to do oh, World oh, War big Z defensure. two. World, World War Z two. Apparently signed on for World War Z two. Sure. I mean, <laughs> listen. I need cash. Give me the. I'm not saying. I mean, if it's in care. David Fincher's hands, me. I'll definitely watch I'll it. Watch World, I'll watch a World War Z movie where you never see a zombie. Mm. Like you never <laughs> see the Zodiac killer. Obviously, it's like you've got a basement. That's rare for California. Well, I've got one. That's a go. great. It is scene. fucking incredible, and the way it's shot scares the shit out of me. Yeah. Just in terms of how what we're saying, especially because it just looks just so gentle and yeah. old, and then well, it's I've just like, one. well, shit, shit. Great film. You're a great film. What's next, Dave? This is one from a uh, from famous podcaster, Doctor Mark Sloan, who's who's on every week, yeah. and he would like to know: Is Sapienza the best hitman level ever? I mean, it's one of them, isn't it? It's definitely, definitely up there. I think in terms of its uh, mechanics, or sorry, systems, what you can do, it's absolutely fantastic in terms of using the golf ball to, to blow up the guy. You can seduce the, uh, the the psychiatrist and all of the other stuff. I'd say that the only thing that's, that kind of stops Sapienza from being the all-time greatest is its third objective, which is you have to destroy the virus. And so that, to me, is not very conducive to... To, to really good hitman like it's a great level and I, I said as such when I reviewed it but on repeated plays to exit the level you have to do the least interesting thing which is destroy mm-hmm. the virus and there's you know you can there are certain things you can do with that but they're not as interesting as the rest of the level when you're inside a subterranean base and it, it gets a bit more standard video game stuff whereas you know firing a cannon into someone while they're teeing off is a bit more mm-hmm. hitman I enjoyed uh, the Paris level as well, though. That yeah, was a great yeah. the Hitman uh, season one is the best game of last year by a mile. By a mile, apart from maybe Pez. There you go. Well, is, is that the greatest football game of all time? That's a question that we've got. I mean, I think the answer is yes, isn't it? Kind That's of. not the question, Dave. The question <clears throat> is what, okay. is, what the is the most impo- important. Exactly. Oh, it does say brackets not best. So yeah, apologies, Simon. Exactly. Reed. Uh, important football games. Well, sensible soccer. Rocket League. Adidas Power Soccer. I mean, I had that international edition it was great i think one of the things it's difficult to nail down exactly well you can you could easily say oh well the original pez or isis pro revolution 2 or sensible soccer but the i think the most interesting thing to talk about is with regards to fifa now i don't think any of the fifa games are the best football game ever i will say that fifa in my mind got better when it started being more like pez and by that it started to take some of the scripting elements or i believe and some of the way that uh, that Pez played. And so really the most important thing to a good football game is the illusion that you are both in control, but it never breaks that illusion by, you know, you hit the post 40 times, they run up and score yeah. with their first shot. So that scripting is the most important thing in any football game. So it doesn't matter whether it's FIFA, Pez, Sensi, whatever, the illusion of it being a back and forth contest rather than just uh, you you know you're playing a machine which is running various routines and if you do one thing you might beat it if you do another you won't or anything in between is the most important so there you go it's a very washy washy answer but I'm out I'm not committing what about uh, Striker Pez, Pez 3 Striker which I, I had that. on the Amiga I had that game it was Pez um, no it's uh, it's Pez 3 there you go easy easy well what else have we got Oh, yeah, why does Jim sound like Malcolm Malcolm from the politics bar? Oh, fuck off. No, you, do. <laughs> you do, mate. I absolutely don't. Shut Whoa. up. Go on, do the voice. No. Do it. You can do it. Are you doing it now? No. You're doing it now. Shut up. You are doing it now. Talk about banter rap. Banter boy. I can't even remember the sketches, to be honest. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. You've got so, tattoos of them, mate. Um, 
Right, is that us? I done? think so, yeah. I mean, oh, there's no, a question want... about our next director's commentary, which is going da, 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 to be da. that. Bam, 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 bam. Yeah, it's good. We won't talk too much about it. We'll keep it. But Robocop was 30. Uh, in my mind, Robocop is actually pretty much in the top three of any American film made since 1980. Fact. And uh, it's Paul Verhoeven's birthday today, which is the 18th. What a fucking weekend he had three yeah. decades ago. Yeah, Robocop's out. Uh, it's doing well. And uh, it's my birthday. Cheers. So there you go. Yeah, we'll do Robocop. Don't know when. Don't know when we'll actually get it done, but you know, we'll do it. We're busy these these days. We're busy list. boys. We are busy. Um, and it's you know it's good. It's it's good that we're busy from our perspective. It's not good if you like content from us. Uh, <laughs> hey, listen. There's gonna be cool stuff. There's gonna be very cool stuff. But yeah, I've got uh, I've got into the habit of never promising anything now. Never promise anything. And when people are just like to anyone, when you when you're gonna do X, I'm just like I'm not committing to anything. Yeah, you're Terence Malick. Like, you know, you're you're big TM now. Even when the kids are like, you're gonna see me on my birthday. I'm just like can't commit. To that. <laughs> <laughs> that is a lie, Jim. That is a lie. <laughs> anyway, before you before we go, Jim wants to say a few words about um, Ed Sheeran. What about Game of Thrones? Game of Thrones. I was only kidding about. No, so I'm only kidding because it's a running joke now. Every time you go, let's go to the questions. I always go. But we haven't talked about X. So. Oh, well, um, I thought because you know it's out now. I thought uh, you'd well, seen you it. Know, Game of Game of Thrones. No, hold on, you tweeted about it. You fucking the new twat. season just started. Watched it last night. It's great. Um, Ed Sheeran's in it. My wonderful. Uh, it's it, it's it's a great series to have watched. Uh, kind of because it starts off and you have all these disparate plot threads that were spread across two continents and they didn't seem to really tie in together at first and now we're at the point where actually what's been happening is that essentially all these armies have been coming together and now this is we're at the moment where they're about to clash and there's about to be this like four-way fucking pile-up and uh and it's wonderful to see and it's like and this is why you're invested it's like we've been watching this now for seven years and they're all about to fuck each other up and it's Mm. uh yeah and it feels it feels it feels like you know we made it. We got to, we got to the st- we got to the point where they're all fucking each other up now. All right, because they weren't before. Listen, before we go, I need to add. Forgot it. Neo noir, body heat, nineteen eighty two, fucking amazing. Get it seen. You've got a lot to watch and catch up on that we've been listening in this podcast. Exactly. I've got to go and watch Enemy. I haven't seen that. Exactly. Oh, it's not bad. He's only made these movies. <clears throat> Shut up, David. Listen. Anyway, thank you for your questions thank you for listening I don't like films and thank you for being so patient because you know we do love doing this but we've also got to pay the bills and also you know Jim's drug habits game anyway listen we will see you soon but have a good one and watch what we said we get told off (laughs) 